in the 80s, there was a Chabad Lubavitch court case about the Rebbe's library. There was a person who was a distant relative of the Rebbe who decided that he has a claim to the library. What he was doing was like this. He was coming, taking books. It was before the times of, uh, you know, cameras, you know, they didn't have all of the means of guarding as they have now. And because he was a relative, he actually had access to the keys and he would come in, take the books and sell them at an auction. His interest was purely financial. And uh, when he was caught doing this, he said that these books belong to me just like they belong to anyone else. He was saying that these books belong to him. So they end up in the courts. And in the beginning, when the courts just started, the lawyers came to the Rebbe. There was a team of very prominent lawyers. One of them was Nate Lewin. Maybe you know him. He is an observant Jew who is a federal lawyer. And this team of lawyers was talking to the Rebbe in 770. And the Rebbe wanted them to pursue a certain line of arguments, which they did not want to accept. So this first meeting did not work out so well. When the lawyers were leaving, they were still having a lot of disagreements about how to move forward. And they would have to hash it out, I guess, later. When the Rebbe was saying goodbye to them at the door, he says, you probably think that I want you to do the way I think is right. The Rebbe said, no, it's not true. I want you to do the way you think is right. But I want you to think what is right the way I think what is right. In other words, the Rebbe did not want them to just simply abide by the Rebbe's wishes. They could have said, you know what? I disagree with you, but you are my client. And because you are my client and you insist on me doing this, I will do it just because you want it. The Rebbe did not want this to happen. The Rebbe wanted them to adapt his line of thinking. Interestingly enough, if you fast forward till the end of the case, the lawyers did not take the Rebbe's directives. They did not do what the Rebbe wanted. And they had a completely different approach. And the case was almost lost. And then they, when everything else failed, they did take the argument that the Rebbe presented them with in the very beginning. And this was the argument that won the case and judge specifically cited it in his ruling. Mm. So now we understand that people very often think that logic is objective. And if you are logical, means everything's supposed to fall in line. If this would, would be the case, then people would never have arguments about their political views, about social issues, about economical issues. You can have two perfectly logical people having different views on economics. Well, is one of them more logical than another one? Not necessarily. If everybody would be logical, they would obviously agree with me because I'm logical. So now we understand that mind can work whichever way we push it. It is interesting that when God is deciding to destroy the world with the flood in the times of Noah, Noah, God says, I'm going to destroy the world and I'm going to destroy mankind. Why? Because men are bad from their inception. Men are born bad, so I'm going to destroy them. By the way, he didn't say it about women. No, I'm joking. Then, when God decides to commit to not making flood again, God promises not to destroy the world again second time. Do you know what is his explanation to why he is making this decision? Because men are bad from their inception. The same argument, but you know, it's not their fault. They're bad from their inception. Why should I punish them?
So you can see how one argument in the Torah itself can go either way. Not only that, in God's wisdom, it could go either way. So now we understand that really people are always biased. We very often pretend that we are objective and we don't have any prejudice. I remember when I was in LA, I visited a Holocaust museum there, which has the worst name I could think of for a Holocaust museum called Museum of Tolerance. Tolerance means, I know you hate us, but please bear with us. I know, I know you really hate the Jews, but please tolerate us. To tolerate means to live with something you don't like. So the very title of it, the very name of the museum excuses dislike of Jews. But putting that point aside, when I was in this Museum of Tolerance, this museum was speaking generally about people having prejudice and uh, being, being hateful to each other just because of who people are. At the end, there is a point where there are two doors and a guide is telling you, after all this, I hope you rid it yourself of all of the prejudice. And now the museum splits onto two. This is the door for those who have prejudice at this point, and this is the door for those who don't have prejudice. And the guide is offering people to go into this door or into that door. And guess what? The door that says this is for people without prejudice is not even a door. It's a, it's a, it's a mock door. It doesn't even open. We always have prejudice. It says in the Torah that a bribe can influence thinking of even a righteous person. A wise, righteous person can be biased because of a bribe. And we, and by the way, in the Torah, the laws about objective statements are much stricter than in an American secular law. For example, a relative is not allowed to testify about his relative. In other words, in American secular law, anybody is allowed to testify, but it's supposed to be at least that the jury or, or, or the judge are going to take his testimony with proper precautions, with the, with the grain of salt, because he is related or because he's friend. In the Jewish courts, you can testify only if you are objective, if you don't have obvious biases, put it this way. If you are not a relative, if you are not a business partner, if you have no interest, that's right. If you, if you have interest, you are not allowed to testify. So we always have biases. We need to work on ourselves to get our judgments as close as possible to being objective. And that's our goal. But to say that a person is completely objective, nobody can. And here's an interesting thing. So then how can you have a judgment which is in the court of law according to the Torah? If a judge will, will never be objective, how can you have a judge preside over a case? Then the whole law system should be, should be null and void. The whole legal system. Well, I'll tell you. The Torah does not deal with things which are not absolute truth. If the Torah says somebody is guilty, he has to be guilty. If somebody has a 99.9% .9 chance of being guilty, according to the Torah, he's not guilty. Once rabbis were presented with the question of whether DNA could be used in the Jewish law as an evidence. So they only asked one question. What is the probability of DNA test being correct? 98 point something percent. Very high. So the rabbi said, well, anything which is not 100% we cannot use. So now I want to ask you a question. If that's the case, how can we make judgments deciding who is right and who is wrong according to the Torah? And the answer is, God promises that if judges follow the rule of the law according to the Torah, he is going to be watching over their shoulder. He is going to be watching 
over there making sure that they're making a right decision according to, to the truth. But on our own, we can never be unbiased. So this is why when we think about judges being biased or judges having prejudice in the secular system of law, the answer is God never guaranteed that that one is going to be always correct. So we should understand that it may be the best system we can come up with in a secular society, but it's far from perfect. That's why judges have so much of prosecutorial discretion. Yes.